It is a special day in the life of our church. Every time we get together as a, as a body, it is. And impact for us is more than just a student conference. It's, it's, it is that. We want to equip the next generation to find their joy in Jesus Christ, to be unleashed with the gospel and all of life. Uh, but impact's about not just bringing a bunch of students together to worship Jesus, and that would be awesome, but it's about equipping and mobilizing them to go. And that's not just something that we want for our students, it's, it's something for our church. We want to be the kind of church that's a great commission church, that because Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, all people groups, pantatas ethne, that, that we are a church about that. And so this morning what we wanted to take some time to do together is to be able to speak to us as a church family, about what does it look like for us to go? Because we, we want to be a church that this is just the normal part of our lives, because this is what God has called us to. And so a couple weeks ago, Pastor Mike and Derek were up here, and we're sharing a little bit of Derek and Kayla's journey and our church's journey and how we're beginning to uh, begin the process of planning our second church. We planted our first church in Portland, Oregon a couple years ago, and now we're beginning the process again. Uh, and so we want to take a few minutes to begin to share a little bit more about that and what your role and my role as a member of Tri-Cities is and how you can be praying and be involved. What does that look like for your family? And so I'll just start uh, with you, Pastor Mike. Why would we want to be a church that plants churches, that plants churches? Um, and why would we send out some of our best to go? So uh, here's the question Paul just asked. I know, you, I know you heard him, but I want you let me just repeat it to you. So why? It's the same idea of saying, okay, Lord, why would I go from my comfortable surroundings of East Tennessee? Why would we as a church send out some of our best like Derek and Kayla? Why would we pursue something like that? So you know, I had this conversation earlier. I said that, that is the wrong question. In other words, I hope that we come to the place as a church in light of what we just sang about and who Jesus really is and the gospel and what has happened in our lives, that here's the question, why wouldn't we go? Amen. And I really mean that, that, that us as a church, we would get to that point and we would say, okay, <laughs> In light of the fact that, and I would say it's even doubly the case for us that live in the Bible Belt here with so many churches and so, many, so much access to the gospel, when we're, when we're confronted with the reality of places and cities like Portland, Oregon, that we planted a church, 90% of the people there have no church home, they're not believers, or we're confronted with the reality that 1.3 billion people on earth are unreached, are unengaged, meaning they will be born, live their lives, and die, and possibly never meet another Christian. Not to mention never hear the name of Jesus. They'll never be exposed to that. And then we realize Jesus Christ has pulled us up out of the pit and given us life and given us all we need in Christ. And we see those opportunities and we hear those opportunities. I pray that the question is, why wouldn't we go? Because, by the way, that's the message of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And I'm not going to give you a Bible lesson. Uh, Abraham, Genesis 12, confronted with who God was, come to know God. And God said, oh, by the way, you're going. <laughs> I'm sending you from what you know, what's comfortable, I'm sending you. Isaiah chapter 6 in the Bible, if you know that passage, he's confronted with the holiness of God, 
holy, holy, holy who God is, it absolutely, it, it tears him apart from the inside out when he was confronted with the greatness of God. First thing Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Jesus and his disciples, three and a half years, they live life together. Jesus is about to ascend to heaven to go be with the Father. Last thing he says, oh, by the way, you're going to receive my spirit. You're going to be my witnesses where you live, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Go. Acts 13, first Gentile, non-Jew church, had some great leaders there. I mean, you're a great leader, Derek, but better than Derek, Paul, Barnabas, some of those guys. They were worshiping, the Bible says. Acts 13, meaning they were overwhelmed with the greatness of God. They were praising, singing, maybe like we were doing this morning, fasting, praying. And the Spirit of God said, send Paul and Barnabas. So the prayer is for all of us coming out of impact and as we continue as a church, that we flip that question upside down. Why would we do that? Why would we plan a campus why would we start churches? Why would we send a group of, and I know you're going to mention in a group, to Indonesia in a week to an unreached people group? Why would we do something crazy like that? Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? Wouldn't that be so cool if that could become the culture of our church, even that there would almost be a, a discontentment and discouragement in, in us if it's been six months or a year and we've not heard about this family going like the Costleys did, or this family going like the Carters or the Sanders or who those people are, we're called to go. And we have the greatest news in the world. There are billions of people who've never heard the name of Jesus and who are going to die and spend a crisis eternity. We have the message, we have the means, and we have the life. Why, why would we not go? And so, so Derek, I, I would love for you, you know, a similar question for you and Kayla, why are you going? But even your journey in that, because there is a cost. There, it, the Christian life is a cost, and there's a cost for you to go. And I know you'd say Jesus is worth the cost, but kind of how has God been at work in that in your all story? Yeah, well, Pastor Mike just stole all of my thunder up here, that awesome answer. So, yes, to everything he just said. <laughs> um, we're not going because we're super Christians. That, if you know me, you know that's not true. Uh, it's not because we're have a special gift even in that. Um, the main reason that God's been stirring us, not even because he spoke audibly to us. I mean, we were praying that he would spell something out in my coffee, you know, as I drink it every morning. That just not happened. Um, but one thing is true. I've heard people say this before. If you want to hear God speak out loud to you about what the purpose of your life and your mission is, turn to Matthew with the Great Commission and read it out loud. And you heard an audible voice uh, from God that says what you're supposed to do with your life. Uh, and, the, and that commission that Jesus told us is not just to make as many disciples as we possibly can in one location. Because if that were the case, we would never leave Trusty's Baptist Church because we love what God is doing here. Being one of the pastors here is one of the greatest joys of my life. And we believe in equipping and sending what's happening here. But the Great Commission is specific to make disciples among people groups. That if, if part, what, part of what it means to be a church is to plant churches and to multiply. And that's been, I hope, all of our prayer. That's not just for Derek and Kayla. That's not just for some of you that I'm praying are called to come with us or to go to other places that we've sent out around the world. That is true for every single person in this room, if you are a follower of Christ, as you are called to figure out what that looks like. Uh, for us, as we walk with Jesus in community, the next step was for us to be sent out uh, to plant churches. And 
two of the main ways that that's happened, how I think he speaks, not I think, I know God speaks, is one is through his body, through the church. So as we've walked in community with many of you and through friendships and brotherhood with these men on this stage and our elders and many of the authority of the elders, um, God has just used his church to affirm some of the ways that he's gifted me and gifted my wife. Um, there's the passions that God's placed in me, the burden that my wife and I have and that keeps us up at night about lostness and unreached people groups, um, that all of those things converging together and then doors of opportunity beginning to uh, open, but really walking with a posture of just yes, regardless of the question. Um, that whole surrender in community, God just really began to make it abundantly clear that we were being called to be sent out. He speaks through his body, but he speaks through his word, uh, abiding in Jesus. When you are in his word, you begin to know his heart. Multiplication and making disciples is not optional. Guess the heart of God. You're going to get that heart. And as we were just journaling through and praying through the scriptures last year, my wife and I together, Isaiah 61 was a passage, among many others and ones that we could share with you, that God really used um, in our journey of just this vision, if you know Isaiah 61, it's the one that Jesus claims for himself as he inaugurates his ministry, uh, about how he's going to come and take these broken people and restore them, and then those restored people will now work for restoration. And those restored people who are working for restoration are, they are described in Isaiah 61 as oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he might display his beauty or be glorified. He's restored people together, working for restoration, are beacons of the praise of God. And that vision just captivated our hearts. And now that's kind of even helped shape some of the vision that we're believing will be uh, the church that will be birthed. And I don't know if you've seen in the elder letter and social media this last week, but the Oaks Community Church uh, is coming out of that vision, Isaiah 61, that was birthed out of an abiding relationship with Jesus and his word. Uh, and we're trusting uh, and we're excited to finally just say it out loud uh, to you guys. Thank you so much for praying for us. Many of you know we've been on like a city adventure uh, trying to find where it is that God's called us. And we believe that the Oaks Community Church, as we share the gospel, praying lost are found and disciples are made, leaders are developed and equipped and sent out in Denver, Colorado. And we believe that's where God's calling us uh, to plant churches uh, in Denver. So we would covet your prayers. We're scared to death about what that means. It's like the farthest one from home, that all the cities we were looking at. Uh, the culture's a little weird. And you say, well, you're weird. So maybe we are a good fit uh, for Denver minus the marijuana. That's not going to be part of our missional strategy. Um, it's the Mile High City, but, you know. Um, so, but the losses there's gripped us. 4.3 million people, 90% unengaged. Uh, pockets of people groups and college students uh, really is strategic. And we believe that's where God's calling us uh, to plant a church. So we'd love for you to pray for us. We want to pray and partner. And um, Jeff, this isn't just something that the church is doing, like big, big church. Um, it's not just Derek and Kayla's thing. But if if you're a member here, this is us. And so, what's our next step? If I'm grandparent, a retiree, if I'm a parent, if I'm a college student, if I'm a high school student, how do I get involved? in the mission and think beyond, I mean, obviously personal evangelism, we hold that up all the time. We believe in that. But how do I get involved in the mission? Yeah, as look around, I told the earlier service, you know, we're a, a multi-generational church and we want to be that. And we would say that everyone has a role to play. I think if you go downstairs to the IMB display, I think the brochures even say that, that each of us in this church 
has a role to play in advancing the Great Commission. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter, meaning we are commanded to fulfill the Great Commission, as Derek talked about. So how do we do that? How do we practically live that out? And, you know, I think for me as, as a member of this church, as a pastor, as a dad, you know, we've tried to do that in many steps over the years with our family. And I think we talk a lot about letting go well. So, for example, with Derek and Kayla, we have to let go of them well to send them out to Denver, Colorado. And, and for our children, you know, I look around and I, I see babies in here. I see uh, a lot of our high school students here that were the impact that, that we have to let our children go and maybe experience cross-cultural missions in another country like Nicaragua. Maybe uh, this summer you let your student go to what we call Denland. We're taking our students to uh, Denver and Portland, Oregon, uh, to experience church planting in an urban city. So, so all those things are happening, and, and some of you will walk out of the doors today, and this week you will go to work, and you'll pray for coworkers that don't know Christ. It's, it's all of that together. So we don't ever say, should I, is it this or that? It's both. And it's not, should we? It's we must go uh, to the people. So I want to encourage you guys, even today, if you've not, visit the Go Center downstairs and take your family through that grab some of the, uh, the brochures and literature that we have. Go out to the Compassion Experience trailers and walk through that today or tomorrow. It's, it's amazing. It's well done. It's, it will motivate you to think about things differently, and, and that's what we want. So we need to learn to, to send well, to let go well, that, that we want to give generously as a church. Uh, I'll do a plug for Derek. You know, his, his church website is called The Oaks Community Church or theoakschurch.net. Sorry about that. You can visit that. You can read about their, their vision. Uh, you can begin to give to church planting through Tri-Cities Baptist Church uh, in April, the first week in April, the first Sunday. There'll be a vision meeting. Uh, you guys come to that. Sign up for it. Hear about it. I think some of you in this room will go with Derek and Kayla to Denver. Uh, you need to begin to look at how do I sell my house? How do I relocate my job? Maybe you graduate college and, and you go there and you work and you're a part of spreading the gospel in a different city. I think we want to do that well as a church. We want to, to sin well. And, you know, even uh, this week, this Friday, which is uh, five days from now, uh, me and Derek will be part of a team taking some college students to Indonesia for their spring break uh, to work among unreached people groups on the island of Sumatra. And that's just the kind of church we want to be. I, th- I think I want us to be the church that we lose track of so many people that we send out, not in a bad way, but, but it's like, who is that Derek guy? Oh, yeah, he was our first planter. Now we've planted 20 churches, but that's what I've, I envision for our church that, and some of you will go and some of you will stay and we're all doing that together. So good. We long and desire in light of global lostness and light of the glorious gospel to be a people who live with urgency and who don't waste our lives. And so if you're a high schooler or a college student, young adult, young married, don't waste that season of life that God's given you. Leverage it for something bigger than your life. If you're a parent, don't waste these years. Don't get caught up in the, the travel ball and grades and all those things that are important, but, but they're not eternal and miss the opportunity to leverage your family for eternity. If you're retired, don't, don't waste your retirement on something that's not eternal. Leverage it for the glory of God because he's, he's worth it. We want to be that kind of people and so we're just going to close, and we're going to pray over Derek, and then he's going to come and bring the word for 
few minutes before us. Um, and so I'd just love to pray for you, brother. And as I pray for you, would you just please pray also for Derek and Kayla? Just they're not leaving this Sunday or anything like that. This is the beginning of a journey. But we want to be praying for them what God's going to do. So let's pray together. Father, we love you. And I just thank you for my brother and what you're doing in his life. Uh, and as he even now brings the word, we ask that you'd be glorified through the preaching of your word. We ask that any barriers that would be uh, in their way of going, that you remove those, selling a home, that you would bring the right people and team around them, that you provide the means. Father, I just pray for all my brothers and sisters in this room, that we would be a church who lives with an urgency, uh, but also a dependence on you, that we go out on purpose, but we also uh, can live in confidence because you are going to accomplish your work. And we just are so thankful we get to be a part of it. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we'll see if I can preach after that. I'm all emotional now. You say, what's new? You're always emotional, right? Uh, Philippians 4, please turn with me. Uh, Philippians chapter 4. As Pastor Mike uh, said earlier in the welcome, uh, Impact was just remarkable. If you see some people running around in these awesome green t-shirts, just ask one of these students uh, what Jesus has done in their life this weekend. Uh, I'm sure you'd be blessed uh, to hear how God's, what God's been up to uh, this weekend. But as Pastor Mike said, we've been trekking through the book of Philippians together, talking about what it means to stand firm in the gospel. And so I'm uh, blessed and humbled to be able to continue that, to finish up uh, that look at the book of Philippians together from Philippians chapter 4, and I have like half of the time that I usually have to preach a sermon, and all God's people said yes, uh, but pray for me. I have a lot to say, uh, and half the time that I usually say it in, so let's jump in. Philippians 4, uh, I'm going to read to us uh, verses 10 through 20, and I invite you please to follow along. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's one there in front of you. Please join me to see the words of God. These aren't my words. These aren't even just the Apostle Paul's words. These are the words of our God together. So, Let's read uh, Philippians 4, verse 10 through 20 together. As I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Paphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant, fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will Supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. If you'll pray with me. 
Father, I pray that you would do a work by your spirit to unite Tri-Cities Baptist Church in a partnership of the gospel. Increasingly, more than you than there's ever been, that we would continue to excel in this mission of making disciples who make disciples among every people group of this world whom you've purchased with your own blood. Lord, teach us to obey what you've commanded. So I pray that you do that work in us today. If we hear your word, Lord, would you change us? Would you cause us to love you more and to be more like you and to be emboldened to let go of everything that's keeping us and impeding us from advancing the gospel on mission with you as a redeemed community of Jesus followers here at this church. To do that work now, we pray. Show us Christ. It's in his name we ask. Amen. All right. A lot here that I'm not going to even try to unpack, but here's the big idea that I want us to just wrestle with for the next uh, 20 minutes or so together uh, this morning. Here's the big idea that I think is faithful to what we see Paul writing this church at Philippi here. Listen, God gets glory. That's the aim. Amen? Talk back to me. We want him to get glory as the gospel advances in all things. It's how he gets glory is when the gospel advances regardless of the circumstances. And that gospel advancement in all circumstances is going to happen, as we see here in this text, in two ways. Through the partnership of his church and through the transformation of his spirit. Gospel partnership and gospel transformation for gospel advancement for the praise of his name and for the salvation of men and women around this world that is what it means to be part of trustees baptist church and that's why it's what it means to be part of this church is because that's what it means to be a part of the church a part of the family of god as pastor mike was telling us earlier we are the sent ones and he's writing this paul's writing the context of philippians here you got to remember, Paul was instrumental in planting this church in Philippi, in Macedonia. If you guys remember the book of Acts, how it unfolds, that we're about to walk through beginning next week, we're going to see some of the first converts that probably made up a part of this church. The Philippian jailer, and the little demon-possessed girl, and the rich lady, all three of those. How about that for a core team? Right? That was the start of the church, and it grew and grew and grew and multiplied. And Paul saw it advance. He saw these people come to know Christ. He was a part of discipling them and equipping them, raising up elders there. And then we know that he left that region and went somewhere else to plant more churches. So he has the, the, the start and the partnership and the gospel. But then when he leaves, the gospel partnership does not stop. It continues on. So he's in another context now, writing to this church, encouraging this church, thanking them for the spread of the gospel and the gospel partnerships that they have together. So let's go back and look at chapter 1. I won't re-preach all of this. We don't have time. But I want us to get kind of the tone of what he's saying. Chapter 1, verse 3 through 5 says this. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. He's like, I thank you for this church. See the heart of Paul for the church. He's like, I'm thanking God for you. I have joy because of you. Why? He says, because. Not just because we all kind of went to a room together on a Sunday. We all found ourselves in the same location on a Sunday morning. Or we all have the same t-shirt. Or we're all apart. No, no, no. 
It was deeper than that for Paul. When he thought about the church, he didn't just see proximity here in a room on Sunday. He said he described it like this, because of your partnership in the gospel. What a beautiful picture of what it means to be part of the church. Partnering together in what? What are we united by in all of our diversity in this room? What brings us together? And that is Jesus and his mission and what he's done and is doing in the world and what he invites us into with the gospel implications of the church. We partner together. He says again in verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, so what is that? What is he talking about here? If you don't know, Paul's writing from prison. Why was Paul in prison? For advancing the gospel. And he goes, listen, you may be tempted to be discouraged, church at Philippi, when you heard that I'm in prison for doing what I'm telling you to do, and you may be tempted to think that this gospel advancement is going to slow down because of this suffering or because of this obstacle that's in front of us. But what I'm trying to encourage you is, no, this gospel is going to continue to advance because what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I'm getting to share the gospel with people I would never have access to. And the gospel is not in chains. That this mission God is committed to regardless of what man tries to do to stop it. God's using it all for the advancement of the gospel. Then again in verse 27 of chapter 1, he admonishes this church. Like, okay church, you're there in Philippi, but here's how you ought to live in light of this gospel. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy with the same weight of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Look at this. I love this. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Partnering together. I love that picture. He says together, side by side, and it's a striving. It's work. It's agony even. But we are not just striving together just to advance some organization. We're striving together to believe the gospel. Part of this gospel partnership together is to say we've got to constantly remind one another, bring one another back to the centrality and the simplicity and the beauty and the urgency of the gospel. Because it's all a drift. We have gospel amnesia and we begin to forget who Jesus is and what he's done and who we are and now what we ought to do in light of this gospel. So part of this partnership is that we have to strive, continue to work together for faith to believe that this is really true. It really is worth it. It really is the point of your life. The gospel. The gospel advancing. Paul, this is central to him. He's encouraging them, but he does it in the gospel. He's admonishing them. He does it in the gospel. He's rejoicing in suffering. And he does it because he says it puts the gospel on display. And so... Here's what I know is the temptation, because God has been so gracious at this church. To part of the culture is this gospel-centered, sending mission, and we ought to rejoice in that in a very real way. When we send out, like, to Remedy City, and we've sent people all around the world, and when we're going to be on the ground this weekend, this time next week, some of us will be among the unreached people sharing the gospel perhaps for the first time in their lives. When we are all spread out doing that, you have a real part to play in it. It's part of what the partnerships mean. Like it, 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 That is you going with us. There's a togetherness in it. But listen, get this. Here's what I'm afraid of for so many of us in this room. is That's a right thing to celebrate in that and to rejoice in that. 
we can kind of hide in God's activity around us and never actually as a person, individual, with your family, step into the mission yourself. There's a glorious reality that the Great Commission is not just given to an individual, it's given to us corporately as the church. So as we corporately are serving together, we're doing it together, and you have a part to play in it. But don't let that keep you from saying, okay, that's for those people. I'm not called to go to Denver with the Oaks, or I'm not called to go to under people groups, so that's just not me. No, we're all called to live in this mission of gospel advancement. The specifics will be individual, but corporately together. Are you engaged in the mission of gospel advancement? And would you see your part of this church in peace of we are partnering together in the gospel? And I have a tangible part to play in that. Me and my family. So I'm going to make decisions of my life and of my home and the way we spend our money for the sake of the gospel advancing through the local church. Me personally. I'm not just going to sit back because our church is about that. No, no, no. That's me. That's us. We're in this thing together. So I think it's faithful out of this text to say we are to be a community transformed by this gospel. This is not just a do more, try harder, out of guilt and shame, be more engaged. No, we're asking for the gospel to transform us deeply and then striving together for the advancement of the gospel. That's what it means to be the church. Gospel transformation resulting in gospel advancement. Partnering together in that. Now let me just step away from the scriptures here for a second and just say thank you so deeply for being that kind of church in so many ways. Um, you are a church about the gospel. Because um, I came here, I don't know how long ago it's been now, it all runs together. Um, some of you are like, it feels like it's been a lifetime, right? Just you've been here. Um, and coming in here not really even knowing what I believed. Uh, just coming out of a season, not, not even in the church, and just coming, kind of figuring everything back. And men becoming spiritual fathers for me. And discipling me, and equipping me, and pushing me, and calling me out, and calling me to repentance. And giving me opportunity when I probably wasn't ready for it and letting me fail and working with it together and celebrating our gifts and doing it together, striving. That has been so true of this church and that this is not just preacher speak. I am a love Jesus. In some ways, I'm a follower of Jesus because of this church. And so just thank you. And even if you're a guest or new, in so many ways, you are a part of that. And thank you for letting me be one of your pastors. It is one of the greatest joys of my life to be one of the pastors at at this church, I love to watch the gospel taking shape in so many of you and living out this gospel advancement. It is an absolute joy. And we know this is going to continue as we're sent out. It doesn't stop. <laughs> this gospel partnership together for gospel advancement and gospel transformation continues together as we're going to be commissioned here in a couple months to be sent to pursue this calling that God's placed on our lives. So with a little bit of time I have remaining, I have two prayers that's flowing out of this text um, that I just want to just Call out to us, and, I, and again, I'm praying this for us, but let's look at it through the lens of obedience. We don't want to just be a hearer of the word, we want to be a doer of it. So let's see what we can learn from this descriptive account of Paul's relationship with the church at Philippi, and not just Derek's relationship and Kayla and whoever's going to be sent out from here to, to plant the oaks in Denver, um, but all of this. I mean, Derek and Kayla are a small piece of a vision of sending and a legacy of mission that this church is a part of. It's not about us at all. I'm praying that God uses our story and our journey, stepping out, not knowing what in the world we're doing. But Jesus said it, and we're doing it together. 
So it's not just me, my wife leaving. It's not just even the people who are coming with us. It is, I know we have a family here praying with us, engaging in this mission, and not just with us, but with so many people like us. And I pray even more God would raise up um, to, to come with us or to go somewhere else, that God is calling you to go, that there would be a ripple effect of sending and obedience that happens, that begins here in our region. So here's the two things. Number one, may the gospel advance through gospel partnerships. May the gospel advance through gospel partnerships. We see that this partnership that they had was holistic. We think partnerships sometimes, I'm just going to give financial resources. We're going to see here in just a second that it includes that, but it's much more holistic. Let's look back again at verse 10 and then verses 14 and 15. It says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share, it's an important word, my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church, look at this phrase, entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So verse 15, he's talking about the partnership that they have together, this church and their pastor. So as he's been sent out, he says that's not the investment, does not stop. And this beautiful phrase, entered into partnership with, is so rich, so rich in the original languages. It has this idea, to share together, to have fellowship with, to do together, literally, to do together, and to receive a share of. So when he says, you all are entering into partnership with me, he's not just saying that you were meeting some tangible needs. He's like, listen, everywhere my foot has stepped since I left you, since you sent me out, it's not just Paul doing that and you're praying for me. Thank you for that. But listen, you have a part to play in it. We're sharing in this together. There's a togetherness and a partnership that is real and tangible. So I may not be with you anymore, and you're there, and you're doing ministry, and I'm not there, but I have a part to play in what the fruit in the kingdom that's happening there in Philippi, and you have a part to play in this because we have come together. You've chosen to enter into this togetherness with me. It's beautiful. That's why he said because it's, like, it's a partnership of giving and receiving. So it wasn't just that some of them were giving and one was receiving. It was a mutual reciprocating of love and commitment to one another. He even says, you're sharing with me in my trouble. So I'm sitting here in prison, and I know I'm not suffering alone. You guys are holding the rope for me back in Philippi, joining in my suffering with me. And that is a vision of multiplication and what it looks like to be ascending church. Partners together. But it did include practical support. There's tangible needs. Paul said, I have needs that to get the gospel to these unknown places and, and people, there's resources that have to happen. So you see in verses 14, uh, in verse 16, in verse 18, there was gifts and these needs that Epaphroditus brought. So they were meeting tangible expressions of Paul's needs. That's part of the partnership. But listen, I love what this was. They were not just committed. They were committed to Paul. And Paul was committed to them. And they together were committed to the mission. Said, we're going to, okay, resources? Absolutely. But it wasn't just the resources. Paul said, this act of partnership, even the financial support and the practical support, is much deeper than that. Because I love what he says in verses 17 and 18 partnership is a mutual means of grace for our worship and our joy. Paul saw past, thank you for sending the gift. 
I mean, he's not making a lot of that. That was important. But he saw that gift as something much deeper in verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So as you all are back home engaging in this with me, suffering with me, partnering with me, it's doing something in you. And I'm so thankful for that. And he says, um, notice how he describes their act of generosity. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Notice what he says about it. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. He uses Old Testament language to say, when you're doing this, when we're partnering together to see the gospel advance in places where the gospel is not, it is an act of worship. To say, Jesus, in my giving, I'm saying you're worth it. And we're going to show that in the way we're sacrificially together for this gospel advancement. That says something about what we say about the worth of God when we live our lives consistent with it. Yes, of course, our resources. But it's much more than that. Paul's giving everything. The church at Philippi is giving everything. And they're doing it together to see the gospel advance. I'm praying for that, for you and for us, and that we continue and more and more people will be a part of that. So he's thankful. Listen, he's praising God for them, not mainly because of what they gave to him that benefited him, but how their generosity was a result of their worship of God. He's thanking God for that. But here's the second one, and here's what I know to be true, because we can get to this place and go, okay, that's what our church is about, that's what Jesus is about, multiplication, and we want to give our resources and lives. What's going to sustain that kind of activity? What's going to sustain that kind of behavior? So like Paul asked me earlier about the cost and the, even some ways the risk of what we're doing to move to a city that we don't know it's far from our family and our home. And just to be honest, that's probably one of the hardest parts because Denver's like the farthest away from all the other places. And what would cause us to do that? And in some ways, yeah, it is costly and risky and it changes everything, but it, like we were talking about, in light of the gospel, it just makes sense. It's not radical at all. And so whether it's Denver or whether it's unreached people group or whether it's the, listen, the way you live your life here in the Tri-Cities and be a part in partnership to send people out. Not everybody's going to go. Some will, but not everyone will. We're all a part to play in it. But there's something about what's going to sustain this mission and this life that we've been called to. Well, I think you see it. Here in verses 11 through 13, let's go back there and see what Paul says. He says, I'm not speaking of being in need. After we just talked about that he's in prison and he has all kinds of needs, but he said, I'm not speaking out of like a deficit. I don't have need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. It's a process. I've had to learn it. In some ways I'm still learning it, but I've learned, Paul says, to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of this kind of life. What's causing Paul to sustain while in prison and just saying, that's fine, I get to convert the jailers. How cool is that? I wouldn't have access to them. What makes a man with that kind of boldness? What causes the church to sacrifice to see that happen? He says, well, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So maybe that verse wasn't about scoring touchdowns after all, right? The mission that this is for. So Tim Keller says it like this. When the gospel transforms our, your heart, gospel advancement will abound regardless of circumstances. So he's like, I'm content. I'm at rest. I'm fully supplied. Even though at the 
in the in horizontal terms, I got some needs. What would cause that other than, listen, a transformed heart by the power of the Spirit of God and seeing every situation through the lens of the gospel? Only that. So Sinclair Ferguson says it like this. He describes contentment this way. Contentment is the direct fruit of having no higher ambition than to belong to the Lord fully at his disposal. It's a really eloquent, wordy definition. I want you to read it again. Focus on what I just said. Contentment is the direct fruit. It's what happens after having no higher ambition than to belong to the Lord fully at his disposal. Paul says, listen, there's been times that I've experienced fruit and success where I've had a lot, I've abounded, I know how to abound, but contentment says, because I have everything I need in Jesus. And because his glory and my intimacy with him is the goal and advancement of this gospel is the mission and the bullseye of my life, even when he gives me abundance, I don't obsess about it. And I don't hold so tightly to my standard of living or my comforts, or my family, or all the things that he's given me. I can abound and it not become an idol and I assess about it, it becomes my identity because I see if he's given me these resources, it's for the glory of his name, for the advancement of the mission, and for me to be transformed to love him more. So I can abound and it not rob my worship and it become what I live for. Because listen, but it also can be true and I, it can go poorly and I can be in prison. And I can not have all my needs met. I can suffer. And maybe God's calling us and he is calling us to places that may even not just cost us like some distance from relatives on the holidays and might not even just cost us a check here or there. Or life, skipping some stuff. It costs us our lives to go to some of these unreached peoples. What fuel that kind of obedience? It's only going to be that, listen, if God chooses to bless, but if he chooses to take it all away and he chooses to use suffering... If my goal is advancement of the gospel, then the gospel can advance in those situations just as much as it can advance in abundance. And when that happens, it doesn't paralyze me, and I don't give up in despair because I have everything I need in Jesus. He's enough. It's him. And if the goal of my life is not my comfort, like Sinclair Ferguson says, I have no higher ambition than to belong to him. That's the point of my life is to be with him. So no matter what happens in my life, I see it's just to be with him. So God, take whatever you've got to take. I just want you. And listen, I trust you. Fully at your disposal. Do with my life whatever you will. That posture, listen, that is not just for church planners or missionaries. There's no super Christians here. That's the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. Are you living that? Is your goal of your life gospel advancement through gospel partnerships? Listen, we have to have that gospel transformation. We have to be content in Jesus if we're ever going to live this out. Sending, going, living mission. We're never going to do what it costs if we don't realize that, listen, I have everything I need in Jesus. That's the goal of my life. So let's pray. Because uh, we need to pray and enter into a time of response in this. And so as the team comes out here I just want to ask you the question are you content in Jesus because listen if you are discontent in Jesus 
if somewhere along the line you have begun to believe that he's not worth it, that he's not good, that he's not giving you the things that he's given you, not for yourself to be used for yourself, but for the advancement of his glory among the nations to advance the gospel. And maybe you're in a season of suffering right now, and you're just getting ready to say, I don't know if this whole following Jesus thing is worth it. I'm not going to, dear God, never could move out west to plant a church. I don't have what it takes. And the answer is like, none of us do. That's not the point of contentment at all. The point of contentment in worship says, Jesus, you have become everything I need. And I'm so captivated by you and how deserving you are of praise that I'm going to give my entire life where I am just and partnering with people to send people where they are and be a part of this gospel advancement. Because I have everything I need in you. If you are discontent in God, you'll never do that. Genesis 2, we see a beautiful picture of what it means to be content. We have everything we need with a relationship with God, walking in fellowship with Him. He's given us a purpose. But Genesis 3, you know what the original sin was? Discontentment. God, you've given me everything, but I still think I need that thing over there that you haven't given me. You're not enough. Your promises and your way you've told me to live is not enough. So I'm going to rebel against you, and it roots in you aren't enough to satisfy me. It's true for all of us. Jesus, insert Jesus, comes and shows us what contentment looks like. He lived perfect in union with his Father, living, loving him. And he does that for you in your place. And he see this trust and this contentment for sacrifice in the garden when he says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. I'm fully at your disposal. I'm content in you. So I'll do whatever it takes to be about this mission that, that we are in. Ransom of people for ourselves. And he rose again from the dead saying, listen, he lived the life you couldn't live. He died the death you deserve to die. And he rose again so that, listen, he's enough. You have his spirit. You have his gospel. You have everything you need. But you're never going to step out and risk. You're never going to sin. You're never going to sacrifice. We're not going to be that kind of church if we don't see that Jesus is enough. So I'm going to pray that for us. And we're going to stand and we're going to sing this song. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will trust in you alone and I will not be shaken. So let's stand together. We're going to sing this song. Listen, please don't just sing words on a screen. Let's sing it from the depth of our soul. And if you aren't here and you can say that, let this song be a God. I want this to be true of my life. I want to trust in you alone. Let's sing it out together.